This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. So today, me, Dr. Cunha, and Dr. Wong will talk to you about the use of high-dose rate brachytherapy for prostate cancer. So let me tell you how we are going to structure the talk. So we are going to talk about four basic topics. First, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about prostate cancer and what are, what's relevant when we see a patient with prostate cancer. And then we talk about the different techniques in radiation to treat prostate cancer. And then we will focus the majority of the rest of the talk on brachytherapy. We'll first understand the advantages of brachytherapy compared to the other radiation techniques. And this will be done by Dr. Wong. And then we will talk about how it is exactly done. And this was what Dr. Cunha will be talking about. So the best thing to talk about prostate cancer and like what's relevant in prostate cancer is actually to start with the case. A very common presentation is what we will see now, very common in our clinic on a daily basis, 65 year old healthy man without any urinary symptoms, but he went to his primary care physician and his primary care physician did the regular prostate-specific antigen, or PSA, which is a blood test. It's done typically every year or every two years by primary care physicians for men above their 50s. There are different recommendations, but this is what typically happened. And when on, on his 65th year, the PSA was six, he had no issues at all, except that he takes some uh, medication for his erectile dysfunction. And uh, this is actually the most common presentation these days for prostate cancer since we, are, since we started doing uh, lab tests, which is the PSA. So before we go into the details of this case, let me tell you a little bit about the anatomy of the prostate and why this is relevant. You can see here, the prostate is located in the pelvis. It's a very strategic location and very sensitive location at the same time. You, can, you see it's located underneath the bladder and also located in front of the rectum and just above the penis and around it, there are lots of sexual nerves and lots of blood vessels that are very relevant for sexual function. So any treatment that we are going to do to the prostate, no matter what it is, the side effects will involve some issues with urination, some issues with bowel function, and some issues with sexual function. Let's go deeper into the prostate. As you can see, the prostate itself is divided into different areas. You see here in purple, it's called the zone called peripheral zone. This is where almost 80% of prostate cancers are found. And this is very relevant for prostate cancer. Now that we know about anatomy, just let me tell you that prostate cancer is the most common cancer in men. And it, uh, it will happen in one in six men during their lifetime. Despite that, despite it's very common, the mortality from prostate cancer by percentage is not very high. However, because it's the most common cancer in men, it does contribute a large number of deaths among all cancers. But overall, the five-year survival from prostate cancer when all cases taken together is extremely high, close to 98%. And it continues to improve with time, as you can see from the curves in dark green below. So our man, let me remind you, 65, 
otherwise healthy, went to primary care physician, had a PSA test, it was six. So what do, what do we do? His primary care physician typically will send him to a urologist. And urologists are typically the first doctors who see patients with prostate cancer. They will do a few things in order to work up the patients. Among the things we'll do, and we'll talk about this in detail, first, physical exam by doing a digital rectal exam to check the prostate, and I'll show you exactly what they are looking for. And then they will do an MRI of the prostate to look inside, to look into the anatomy. And then they will take a sample or a biopsy of the cancer in order to know what exactly we are dealing with to stage and grade the cancer. So what is the digital rectal examination? So as you see here in the slide, this is exactly what the physician does when they are trying, when they are doing a rectal exam. Basically, they will place their finger on the posterior part of the prostate. You remember when I showed you the subdivisions of the prostate, I told you that the, the peripheral zone is the area in the back where it has uh, the, most the most common, where it is the most common location of cancer. This is exactly what we are trying to feel. We're trying to feel if there are nodules in that area. And based on that feeling with the finger, we're going to stage the cancer. If the doctor does not feel anything, they will say it is T1 or clinically, because it's clinically inapparent. If they can feel something, but it is confined within the prostate, it is T2. And we can go, we don't have to go into this, these details, T2A versus T2B to T2C. And if the prostate cancer was more extensive, like outside the prostate, it's either T3 or T4, depending on the degree of, ex of extension. And as you see, this is very important step in how when we see the prostate cancer patients, we, uh, again, we saw they got a PSA, it was six. We do a finger exam. We're starting to build an idea and a big picture of what we are exactly dealing with. After the rectal exam, as we said, we are going to get an MRI. MRI in the past few years has, been, has just made a big appearance in the world for pro of prostate cancer. We are counting more and more on prostate MRI, and we can do so many different techniques in MRI to see the prostate cancer differently. And each technique we do will give us different kind of information. Let me show you here. Let's look at the upper panel. The first picture is, uh, is, a, is a picture, it's called T2. This will give us a very nice picture of the anatomy of the prostate and of the pelvis. And you see here this white in the posterior back, this is the peripheral zone. In this case, it does not have any cancer because it looks nice and white. However, if you look anteriorly where the uh, yellow arrow where Dr. Wong is showing, this area looks different. It is dark gray. This is cancer. If we look at the next panel where they did the dynamic contrast enhancement imaging, basically trying to see if there is like blood vessels, this area is rich in blood vessels. You can see it's very rich in blood vessels. This is another characteristic of cancer. You see in the third picture, this is, it's called diffusion coefficient uh, image. And in this picture, also another way of looking at cancer and it's also dark gray. And again, telling us this, this is malignant. And the use of MRI actually has allowed us to actually use that MRI to do biopsy, which is what we are, I'm going to talk about it now. Before I tell you how we do the biopsy, our gentleman, our patient went to the doctor, did the biopsy, and the biopsy was transrectal, meaning 
they put an ultrasound in the rectum and then they through the rectum they will take pieces of the prostate and the biopsy showed and i will read it for you now but i'll tell you what it means showed the gleason score three plus four in three of the 16 samples so let's 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 look at this what this means exactly so whenever we want to diagnose prostate cancer, the gold standard for diagnosis is to get a piece of that prostate in order to grade the cancer. However, it's not random what we do. When, when the urologists go into the prostate to talk the pieces, there is a very standard pattern in which they take a piece from each location inside the prostate. They could take 12 pieces, six pieces, 14, 16, 20, 24 pieces. Everybody has their own practice, but basically we want to sample. The more we sample, the more, the better idea we have in diagnosing the prostate cancer appropriately. And remember now we have MRI, so we can, before we get to the biopsy, we can see what we are going to, uh, the area that's most suspicious and we can specific on top of this like template or like a targeted biopsy we can go specifically to those areas on MRI. After we biopsy we send these pieces to the pathologist who will section them put them on slides and then they will look at them to assess how aggressive they are. You see here this is called Gleason grading. Basically this is like a very, uh, very uh, easy way of looking at the prostate cancer. You will look, the pathologist will look at the gland. Remember, the prostate is a gland. It produces fluid. So we look at the gland and then depending on, the, the, on how much it looks like normal, they will give it a number. For example, if it looks pretty normal, small uniform gland, they will say one. If these glands look like there is like they're they're getting sick or malignant and they don't look normal, you give the number will increase. And depending on how abnormal they look, the number is higher from one to five. Five is the most malignant kind of prostate cancer. And when the prostate, when the pathologists want to communicate to us, what how do they think the about the grade of the cancer, they will communicate us to us using this way. Basically, they say three plus three, three plus four, four plus four. What this means is if, if all the sample they looked at look like three pattern, they will say three plus three. If most of the sample look like three, but some of it look like four, then it's three plus four. And of course, as you can tell, the most aggressive cancer would be some, someone who has five plus five. So let's review our case again. Our patient has 60, 65, he has PSA 6, his rectal, his finger exam showed a small nodule only on the left side, and his pathology showed Gleason 3 plus 4, so not very aggressive in the middle, and it was in three of the 16 biopsies that were taken. So overall, when we, when we put these three uh, criteria together, the PSA, the finger exam, and the pathologist report, we can tell that this patient have a relatively a favorable, diagnose, uh, favorable diagnosis. We call it for this particular case, favorable intermediate risk. For all practical purposes, this is very early grade, very early stage, and the cure rate are extremely high. And basically you can do any kind of treatment 
or you can even for this gentleman potentially a, a, a method of management called active surveillance where you just keep an eye on the prostate if they don't want to get treated immediately but also for the treatment any kind of radiation therapy or surgery which is called radical prostatectomy and our gentleman came to a radiation oncologist to further discuss we will bring you back to the case but let me tell you a little bit about the different radiation options for prostate cancer so radiation started like the, uh, the x-ray was discovered in 19, in 1895 and very soon within the discovery of x-ray people have immediately re realized the utility of x-ray in treating cancers and over the past 130 years we have done so much progress in radiation therapy, but the big picture has always been the same. You can think about radiation in general as two big categories. There is teletherapy, which is external beam radiation therapy, the radiation coming from outside. You can see here very old machine, and this is the source here, and it will shoot radiation into the target within the patient or the, can the cancer patient. This is external beam radiation. And the other big uh, kind of radiation is brachytherapy, which is what we, are, we will focus in a second on. The brachy means short distance. And here we are putting radioactive material inside the cancer or near the cancer to heal from within, to shoot radiation from within. And as you can see here, this is an x-ray of a patient who had a cancer, and you can see the, radio, the, the radioactive material uh, within. And whether it is brachytherapy or external beam radiation therapy, the, the main goal and the main mantra of radiation therapy is what's written here. We want to deliver high radiation or therapeutic radiation dose to the tumor, while minimizing exposure to the adjacent surrounding normal tissue. And this is, this is what guides us on a daily basis. Every day, this is what we want to do. So let's talk about a little bit about external beam radiation, and then we can eventually, uh, and then we'll transition to brachytherapy for the rest of the talk. All right, so this is a very important slide because this will tell you how powerful brachytherapy is. So external beam radiation. So the, uh, let me just give you like a background. 3D CRT, three-dimensional three conformal radiotherapy. This is one of the early kinds of radiation. And then IMRT, intensity mod modulated radiation therapy. And then VMAT, volumetric arc radiation therapy. And then protons, it's one of the particle therapy. Let me tell you what, what are these uh, sections we're looking at. Each of these sections is, an, is a CT scan and the prostate is in the middle. The prostate is here. This is the target that we want to treat typically. And then these are the pelvic bones around it. And you have the hip bones and or the soft tissue. As we spoke, the mantra is highest dose to the prostate, lowest dose to the surrounding organs. Here, in this case, the highest dose is the red. So I want to give the highest dose to the prostate but low dose, which are the green, the intermediate dose is the green and the blue is the low dose. So highest dose of the prostate, red in the prostate, everything else either green or blue. Look here, first panel, the 3D CRT. 
Historically, we were not able to shape the radiation dose around the prostate. So you see the red, which is the highest dose, is a big box around the prostate. While I am treating the prostate with high dose, but look at the rectum. The rectum is getting very high dose. Lots of organs here, and uh, this is not a 3D, 3D image, but you can see also the bladder would be getting high dose. The sexual organs will be getting high dose. So this is not optimal. Luckily, we transformed from 3D CRT technology allowed us, the machine technology allowed us to become, to start treating with IMRT. Look here. The red is smaller, more conformal, more shaped to the shape of the prostate. And the green and the blue are also a little bit less. And then from IMRT, the two techniques that allow us to shape the radiation around our target the most are either VMAT or protons. And you see, look, very nice, actually, extremely successful techniques. The red is the lowest. Uh, is the is most conformal around the prostate. And the blue, this comes at the expense of, a, we call it a low-dose bath in the body, but we don't think this is significant in terms of giving you uh, high dose, uh, high, like uh, toxicity or side effects. Despite it's 2020, this is the most advanced external beam techniques, either VMAT or protons, but you see the, the intermediate dose is still a little bit wide around the prostate, and the blue is still taking a significant portion of these cross sections. While we do this all the time, like uh, the, treating the patients with external beam, but I just want you to keep these pictures in your head to see the advantage of brachytherapy in a minute when Dr. Wong or Dr. Cunha are talking, see the advantage of, 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 these, of the brachytherapy over VMAT and protons. Let's talk once one more thing about brachytherapy, and then we can I can give give it back to Dr. Wong. So sorry, before talking about brachytherapy, let me tell you: external beam, whether it was VMAT or any of the techniques that I showed you, have have showed like we can cure prostate cancer with these techniques because we can give enough dose to the prostate without damaging the tissues around it. However, historically, what we have been doing is that because of the because you show the big red circle in the 3D CRT, we have we historically we could not give very high dose per treatment. So we were limited to giving small dose per treatment in order to kill the cancer, but allow the normal tissue around it to recover from the treatment. So we're giving small dose per treatment, which made us instead of, which made us give like 35, 40, or even 44 treatments in order to cure prostate cancer patients. However, as we learned more about prostate cancer, as we learned more about the bladder and the rectum and the tissues around them, and as the technology advanced more and more, we were able to give higher dose per treatment in, and maintaining the same level of cure if not even better, and also at the same time without increasing damage to the normal organs. And let me show you here. You see, you can read here, conventional fractionation. This is what we has historically been doing. So, gray, GY is called gray. This is the radiation dose uh, unit. And we used to give 78 to 81 in 1.8 to 2 gray fraction. So each treatment session, you are giving two gray fraction and you give it over almost nine weeks. Very inconvenient to the patient. As technology advanced, we, became, we started to give 
moderate hypofractionation. 60 gray, 2.5 gray per fraction over four to six weeks. As technology advanced more, ultra hypofractionation, 36.25 to 42 gray and 6.1 to eight gray per fraction over one to two weeks. So you see, we are shortening the course. However, remember, we are shortening the cor course, that's true. There's more radiation per, per treatment, that's true. But the overall dose is shrinking from 80 to 60 to 40. However, although the, the dose that you see is shrinking, but because we are giving higher dose per treatment, overall, the potency of the treatment is actually increasing. And this is something very special about radiation biology and how radiation works. So overall, if our patient that came to the clinic, whether he got conventional fractionation, moderate hypofractionation, or ultra hypofractionation, they can get, they will be able to be treated. The cure rate is about 90 to 95% at five years, and the risk of severe long-term toxicity is less than 5%. This is like really, really excellent outcome, very comparable to, to surgery. Actually, uh, like we know from studies that the, this kind of treatment has the same similar cure control rate as surgery, which is radical prostatectomy with different toxicity profile, but not necessarily better or worse. So now that we, we know the external beam options, what we have two options for brachytherapy. And this is very important for us to move forward with Dr. Um, with Dr. Wong. So we have two kinds of brachytherapy. So brachytherapy, as we, as we said, it is radiation from within. So, but we can do this in two ways. The first way is very commonly known, low dose rate brachytherapy, also called for short LDR. The second is high dose rate for short HDR. And what you need to know is that LDR, as it said, the dose of emission, the, the rate of emission of radiation from the radioactive source is slow. Whereas in high dose rate, the rate of emission of radiation is fast. And you can see here, low dose rate, it emits less than two gray, which is a radiation dose unit per hour. High dose rate, more than 12 gray per hour. How, how do you achieve low dose rate? Look at the picture here, just to orient you. This is an X-ray. Here, this is a prostate. These that look like a mask, this is like the pelvic bones. The black circle up front and uh, up on top is a bladder. And the, here, the, 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 the metal artifact at the bottom that looks like a battery or like a finger, this is actually the ultrasound probe. This is, these little dots are radioactive seed. It's low dose rate, so we have to put the seeds permanently inside the prostate. These seeds will, will be implanted during the procedure and the patient will go home with the seeds they will never be taken out. Because of the nature of that radioactivity of the kind of uh, radioactive source, the emission of radiation is very slow and take over like several months. How do we do this? We put the seeds and using complex physical prop like equations, we are able to calculate based on the radioactivity, etc. we can calculate the dose. We typically, when we are using brachytherapy alone, 
we, we do, we prescribe or we give the prostate 145 gray. Remember what, when we were like a little bit before with the external beam, we were giving 70 gray or 60 gray or 40 gray. This is 145 gray. And we were, when we, if we are doing brachytherapy with external beam, so if in some cases that are more advanced where brachytherapy alone is not enough. So we combine external beam and brachytherapy. So brachytherapy dose is less, it's 110 gray. Now let's talk about high dose rate, which is what Dr. Cunha will talk about later, the technique. Same thing, but instead of putting the seeds forever, we don't do that. Let's focus on this picture on the right-hand side. This is a 3D rendering of, a, of, a, of, a, of a, an actual treatment. The rectum is in brown. The red is the prostate, it's our target. The yellow is the bladder and the purple is the penile bulb. You see these teal structures? These are catheters that, in, in, that are inserted through the skin, the skin that's between the rectum, the rectum and, the, and the scrotum, inserted through the skin all the way into the prostate under ultrasound guidance. Once we put them inside the prostate, these catheters act as highway for the temporary seeds to be placed into the prostate they deliver radiation and then they will be pulled out. One by one, one catheter at a time, the seed will go in, deliver radiation, pulled out, in, out, until all the dose that we want is delivered. For when brachytherapy is used alone, we do two sessions or two fractions and we give 27 gray. When we do radiation with external beam for these advanced cases, we give for the brachytherapy 15 gray in one session. In, in one session, and the rest will be external beam. You see here, whenever we give the radiation in high dose, we the, the overall dose is less. You see 20, although we need 20, only 27 gray with the HDR, we will need 145 gray with the LDR. And again, this is related to the radiobiological characteristics of radiation and how tissue and cancer interacts with radiation. All right, and now I will give it to Dr. Anthony Wong to, to continue. Great, thanks, thanks for that uh, uh, great lead-in. So, um, so I'm gonna to talk to you today about specifically um, what the advantages of, of brachytherapy are uh, for treating prostate cancer. Um, so um, as Dr. Mohammed discussed, um, brachytherapy is different from external beam radiation, right? External beam radiation, we're using particles or photons to um, deliver uh, ex uh, deliver energy, radiate energy from the outside in, right? Brachytherapy is internal radiation. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in order to deliver radiation internally, we, we must use a radioactive source that's implanted directly into the tumor. Um, so for LDR brachytherapy, uh, the most commonly used sources in treating prostate cancer are iodine-125, um, palladium-103, uh, and cesium-131. Um, each of these has slightly different properties in terms of the dose rate, how quickly the dose is delivered, um, you know, the energy that's emitted from the isotope, and, and, and hence, uh, you know, the, the treatment prescription and so forth is a little bit different. Um, but for all intents and purposes, uh, you know, the, the process is the same. Um, you know, the, these seeds are implanted, several of them, um, you know, depending on the isotope, uh, any, anywhere from you know, 30 to 80 seeds might be implanted. Um, into the prostate um, and uh, they stay there forever and they deliver radiation dose um, you know over the remaining the, the life of the patient right with with the amount of dose decaying over time um, and uh, the, uh, on the other side um, what we specialize here uh, at UCSF in doing 
is high-dose rate or HDR brachytherapy. Um, pretty much the only brachytherapy uh, source that's used for HDR um, in the Western world is Iridium-192. Um, uh, this has to do with the properties of that particular isotope that make it quite favorable for doing, for, for doing HDR brachytherapy. Um, so so how, how does brachytherapy achieve the, you know, the favorable um, uh, physical and dosimetric effects, right? Well, um, what, what we're really exploiting with brachytherapy is the inverse square law. So, so the inverse square law um, is, is a, you know, a, a, a property of, of physics where the dose of radiation exposure uh, drops uh, with the square of the distance from the source. So, you know, this is in some sense common, common sense, right? If there's a radioactive source somewhere, you want to be as far away from it as possible. And even a little bit of distance actually can have a dramatic effect because of, because of the inverse square law. Um, you know, we, we harness, we exploit this, this physical property of, of radioactive sources um, by uh, basically implanting. So, so when we implant a radioactive source into the tumor, um, there's an extremely high dose, an ablative dose of radiation that's given, given directly to the tumor. Um, and then, you know, the, the dose falls off very quickly um, once we move away from the target. So, so we're able to really spare the amount of dose that goes to the, the adjacent critical organs, the bladder, the rectum, the urethra, the neurovascular bundles that enable men to have erections. Um, so so that, that, that's what makes brachytherapy particularly advantageous um, in, in the treatment of prostate cancer. Um, so how do we compare brachytherapy to external beam radiation? Um, so, you know, as I mentioned, uh, it does permit extreme uh, radiation dose escalation. We're able to treat, you know, right around the seed, you know, hundreds of gray are being delivered. Um, so um, that's much higher than what we can achieve uh, safely with external beam radiation. Um, it, it does reduce uh, exposure to surrounding normal tissue due to, due to the inverse square law. And then uh, an issue that we haven't really gotten much into um, is, uh, you know, um, what we call uh, treat uncertainty, un un treatment uncertainty due to setup. Okay, so that's kind of a jargon phrase, but um, anytime we do external radiation, uh, the assumption is that the patient is in the exact same position with the exact same anatomy um, every day that they get radiation and throughout the whole, um, you know, the whole session of radiation delivery, right? Um, you know, the, the machine makes that assumption. We set up the patient as accurately as we can, and then we turn on the machine, right? However, um, you know, for prostate cancer, there's always some chance that, you know, from day to day, the patient might not be in exactly the same position. And even if they are in exactly the same position, there can be something called, um, you know, an intrafraction motion. So the patient is set up the same way, but during the course of the treatment, you know, a gas bubble passes through the rectum or the bladder fills up with urine and, and there's some slight adjustment in the anatomy of the prostate. Um, you know, external beam radiation, um, doesn't have as good of a method for compensating for those those kinds of changes as brachytherapy. Brachytherapy, you know, there's really no no error um, in in the radiation dose delivery because the the source is again directly inside the tumor. If the tumor moves, the source moves with it. Um, so so it really removes this uh, source of you know intrafraction or interfraction uncertainty when we deliver the radiation therapy. Um, another big advantage of brachytherapy over external beam radiation is convenience. Um, as Dr. Mohammed mentioned, you know, conventionally fractionated radiation um, is often done over eight to nine weeks, Monday through Friday, and testing, you know, patients that take time off work. You know, sometimes they need some people, some, you know, someone to help them with transportation. It's a big logistical burden, um, and it's also a big financial burden um, for the healthcare system and often sometimes for the patient, right? Um, brachytherapy, uh, conversely, is, is extremely efficient. Um, you know, low-dose rate brachytherapy 
um, you know, typically requires uh, one visit for a planning session, um, one visit for treatment delivery, and then a third visit to come back um, and, and do what's called post-implant dosimetry. So, the, you know, the actual treatment is done in a single session, and there's usually two other sessions that are added um, for, for radiation planning purposes. Uh, now, high-dose weight brachytherapy um, can be done in a single hospitalization. Um, you know, overnight treatment is commonly how we do it here. Um, where somebody, you know, gets uh, the, the the needles implanted and, and the dose is delivered 24 hours later, they're discharged, and that's the whole treatment. They don't have to come back for additional treatment. Um, so, you know, this tremendously reduces uh, the burden of treatment on patients as well as um, uh, on, on an end-to-end -end basis reduces healthcare costs. Um, and then um, finally, um, you know, we, we do have evidence that, you know, it's, this is not just a theoretical advantage, the, the, the biologic effectiveness of giving a really high dose of radiation in a short period of time and, you know, focusing these very high doses right into the tumor. Um, we have clinical trials that have, that have established um, that, you know, um, brachytherapy uh, does provide superior long-term biochemical cure rates compared to, you know, external beam radiation treatment alone. Um, so, so, you know, there, there are several advantages to, to this treatment for, for prostate cancer. Um, so this slide should look familiar. Um, this is very similar to, you know, uh, what Dr. Dr. Mohammed was pointing out before. Um, what he had shown you previously um, was really the state of the art with external beam radiation. So VMAT, uh, or volume, volumetric modulated arc therapy, um, shown here. Um, and then uh, this is uh, proton therapy. This is, is intensity modulated proton therapy. Proton therapy is not a focus of our talk today, but um, the same way that 3D uh, radiation works for photons, there's also 3D proton therapy as well as intensity modulated proton therapy. Um, so intensity modulated proton therapy is more or less the state of the art with proton therapy. Um, and this is intensity modulated ion therapy, um, IMIT. Um, this refers to carbon ions as opposed to just protons. Um, for, for our intents and purposes, uh, carbon ions and protons, um, carbon ions are only available in, in Germany and in Japan. Um, and this is not a treatment that's, you know, that's, 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 that's very widely given. Um, but the, 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 physical, the, 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 the physical behavior uh, of uh, protons and carbon ions are, are, are very similar. Um, so you can see the dose distribution is also very similar. Um, and what we're looking at here is um, just like Dr. Mohammed showed you, um, is different dose levels. And this is a color, um, a color wash where the colder colors represent lower doses of radiation and the warmer colors um, represent higher doses of radiation. Um, you can see that with VMAT, we can only achieve, you know, maybe about 80 gray or so safely, right? Um, you know, without exposing the rectum, the bladder, the surrounding organs to, um, you know, uh, what we consider uh, intolerable doses of radiation. So, so to, main, to, to have a treatment plan within our, um, our dosimetric safety parameters, um, you know, this, this is basically what we can achieve with VMAT in the state of the art. Um, with proton therapy, there is uh, less low dose. There's less of the uh, of the colder colors here, the five gray or the ten gray being delivered um, to, to to other areas of the body, but um, still we only achieve maybe about you know eighty gray um, inside the tumor here. With carbon ions, you can achieve a similar dose distribution. It's actually more favorable than proton therapy. You can get you can get um, a warmer hot spot inside the, the tumor um, without giving quite as much um, to the you know to, to the surrounding areas. Um, however, any form of external beam radiation really pales in comparison to what we can achieve with brachytherapy. Um, so this is an example of a low-dose rate brachytherapy plan um, uh, with permanent seed implant. You can see we're achieving doses well in excess of 90 gray, 
inside the target here, and the dose falls off extremely steeply due to the inverse square law, such that you know the five gray area is really just circumscribed in this, in this very small small volume of the uh, of the patient, minimizing exposure to the bladder and to the rectum, um, as well as the neurovascular, neurovascular bundles, which are over here, um, and. Uh, similarly, with high dose rate prostate brachytherapy, we can get you know ablative doses of radiation right into the tumor. Dose falls off very, very steeply. Um, this comes from a study that was done in Austria, um, and uh, this is a modeling study, dosimetric study, uh, in ten patients where they took the same. This is the same patient, and they, they they did basically five different plans in this patient to see what the dose distribution would look like. Um, so this is a graphical representation of what I just described. Um, so um, VMAP, which is currently the state of the art with external beam, uh, you know, fractionated radiation therapy. Um, uh, this is what the this is looking at how much volume of normal tissue is exposed to this dose of radiation in the radiation plans that I showed you previously, and um, you know the ideal radiation plan exposes zero dose to normal tissue, right? So so basically the the, the ideal plan is one that looks exactly like the axis of this graph, it's just just a right angle, right? Um, and you can see that VNAT, um, while it does a does does a you know better job than what we had before, um, you know really doesn't do as good of a job of sparing either the low uh, or intermediate uh, dose gradients um, uh, compared to protons or carbon ions, um, which you know, do, do a better job reducing the low dose exposure to normal tissue and to a lesser extent the, ex the, the, um, the medium dose gradient here. Um, but uh, any form of external radiation, um, you know, again, uh, it, it pales in comparison to what we can achieve with uh, low dose rate LDR or high dose rate here in, in orange. Um, brachytherapy. In, in their dosimetric study, um, high-dose rate brachytherapy really provided the, the, the closest approximation to, to the perfect radiation plan, really the, less, the least amount of dose exposed to, to, to the normal surrounding organs. Okay, so um, hopefully I've, um, you know, between myself and Dr. Mohammed, we've convinced you that brachytherapy is, is really one of the best ways of treating prostate cancer. Um, what about uh, comparing high-dose rate to low-dose rate um, prostate brachytherapy? Um, uh, they're both accepted standard of care, um, you know, uh, treatments for prostate cancer with a long history, okay? Um, here at UCSF, um, we tend to favor high-dose rate prostate brachytherapy for, for a few reasons. Um, so one thing is that we can do with high-dose rate brachytherapy is that we can shape the radiation dose. Um, so with low-dose rate brachytherapy, the implantation of the radio radioactive sources, um, uh, once you place the source, you cannot take it back. You cannot move it, okay? Um, so, so the, the delivery of radiation um, is it cannot be separated from the placement of the source. Um, and you know what that means is that um, you know if the source ends up too close to the rectum or too close to the urethra, there's really no way to take that back. It's also much harder to to uh, make a radiation plan where the sources are escalating dose exactly where you know in, in, in let's, let's say we can see the tumor on the MRI and we, and we want to get um, you know really high dose right into that tumor, the anterior part of the prostate. Um, that would be very difficult to achieve technically with with LDR brachytherapy. Um, you know, it's 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 just not as uh, not as simple to to you know increase the density of the of the radioactive sources right in that area. Um, whereas with high dose rate prostate brachytherapy, since the implantation of the catheters is temporarily separated from the, the delivery of the radiation, right? The catheters when they're inserted, no radiation is given yet. Um, but then afterward, we load them with a the radioactive source. Um, by controlling where the source dwells and how long it dwells there, we can shape the radiation dose. And this way, if a, if a catheter is placed too close to the rectum or too close to the urethra, um, we don't have to use it, or we can underload it, right? We, 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 we can um, really modulate the plan in such a way that we can, we can shape the radiation dose just the way we want it and make sure the tumor is covered. Um, so that's one advantage. Um, uh, 
there's, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, LDR brachytherapy usually requires both a pre-implant and a post-implant visit, separate hospital visits. Um, to um, The pre-plan is uh, kind of a dry run to see where the needle should go. The post-implant dosimetry um, is, a, is a scan that's done to make sure that the doses, you know, the seeds are placed where they should be, right? Um, uh, there's no need for these separate visits with high-dose rate prostate brachytherapy. Um, the, the patient comes in for the procedure, the procedure is done, the ration is delivered, um, all the quality assurance is, is done on the same day, and when the patient leaves the hospital, they're, they're done with treatment. Um, there is some evidence, um, not from the gold standard randomized trials, but if we, if, if we look at uh, you know, experiences of patients who uh, received high-dose rate prostate brachytherapy or low-dose rate prostate brachytherapy, there's some evidence that high-dose rate brachytherapy leads to lower rates of urethral scarring. So the urethra is this tube that carries urine from the bladder uh, through the prostate and out the penis, right? That's, that's the tube that carries urine. Um, you know, one of the feared complications of any prostate radiation, but particularly brachytherapy when we're giving these very high doses, is causing scar tissue in that urethra, basically a kink in the tube. Um, and, uh, you know, the urethra works just like any other plumbing does. If, if a kink forms in it, in it, if there's scar tissue that forms, um, it can cause urinary obstruction, right? Um, and, um, you know, uh, while no randomized trial has yet compared high-dose rate to low-dose rate prostate brachytherapy, it does seem, looking at the reported experiences, that um, there appear to be lower rates of, uh, of what we call urethral stricture or scar tissue forming the urethra in men who receive high-dose rate prostate brachytherapy compared to low-dose rate. Um, another important benefit of high-dose rate prostate brachytherapy is that there is no exposure to any family members or anyone else, right? When the patient leaves the hospital, um, they, 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 they have no radioactive sources in them, right? So, so I, I tell my patients that it's, you know, it's similar to getting a prostate biopsy. When you walk out the hospital, it's almost like you just had a biopsy, right? There's, there's, you, if you have uh, pregnant women at home or young children, there's no risk of radiation exposure to, to, to those you know, sensitive populations. Whereas, whereas with low-dose rate prostate brachytherapy, um, we do have to counsel patients you know, that, um, you know, especially the um, surrounding family members or other, other people who um, might be at risk, um, you know, that, that they have to keep some distance, right? Um, you know, so high-dose rate prostate brachytherapy, brachytherapy patients, they can go home, celebrate Thanksgiving, Christmas with their family. Maybe not this year, but you know, other years they can they can spend time with their um, spend time with their family. So, um, and then um, one other complication, and this is kind of a, a medical curiosity. So this is a gentleman who had low-dose rate prostate brachytherapy. This image that we're showing here, um, and uh, you know, subsequently ended up getting an X-ray um, for for unrelated reasons, um, and was found to actually have brachytherapy seeds that embolized in 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 into the lung. Um, so when the radioactive source is placed, you know, the, the thought is that it's going to stay there forever, um, but it, it may not. Um, the seeds may migrate, and when they migrate, that can not only change the dose distribution inside the prostate, but it can end up, you know, sending radioactive seeds to places we don't really want them to go, like, like the lungs. So, um, so that's another advantage with high-dose prostate brachytherapy. Since the source doesn't stay there permanently, there's really no risk to the patient or anyone else after they, 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 they leave our hospital in terms of radiation exposure. Um, and you know, there's no chance that a seed can end up, you know, some, in, in, in a different organ. Okay. Um, some other specific advantages of how we do high-dose rate prostate brachytherapy here at UCSF. Um, Dr. Kuhnha is going to go into this in more detail. But we have a um, very kind of unique technique here invented by, um, you know, uh, our predecessors here um, in, in, in radiation oncology um, and, and in urology, uh, where we do freehand brachytherapy. So freehand brachytherapy basically means um, we don't have a template, right? Every patient gets a customized individual uh, brachytherapy implant. Um, and um, what that enables us to do is to treat, treat tumors that um, in locations that might 
um, otherwise not be accessible. And, and also, um, you know, specifically when we compare to low-dose rate prostate brachytherapy, so um, Dr. Masam, Dr. Mohammed mentioned that, you know, um, when we stage prostate cancer, some end up, end up having locally advanced disease where the tumor has invaded through the capsule and into surrounding organs like the seminal vesicle. Traditionally, seminal vesicle invasion, the seminal vesicle is this organ that, that's over here. Traditionally, seminal vesicle invasion um, was con is considered a contraindication to low-dose rate prostate brachytherapy. It's very hard to implant seeds into the seminal vesicle and have them stay there and get the you know, correct dose distribution. Um, that's not a problem at all for high-dose rate prostate brachytherapy. So here um, you know, is a patient who had an invasion of tumor in the right seminal vesicle. You can see that we were able to get uh, these our catheters directly into that seminal vesicle and get a therapeutic dose of radiation right into it while sparing the bowel, which is back here, as well as the bladder, which is over here. Um, so, so this 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 is a this is a technical um, technically challenging or possibly you know maybe impossible case to do with low dose rate prostate brachytherapy um, that we, we we can really you know we we can still offer high dose rate brachytherapy in this case. Um, another uh, technical challenge for low dose rate prostate brachytherapy are uh, is is um, anterior tumors or men who have large prostates um, such that it, such that it's difficult to thread a needle uh, in, into this part of the gland the anterior part of the gland. Um, this is a, um, a patient we treated here who had a high-grade tumor, just like that MRI that Dr. Muhammad showed earlier, in the anterior part of the prostate. Um, and um, you know, while his gland is not particularly large, um, it, 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 it was actually challenging to get a needle into this anterior part due to what's called pubic arch interference. So here, this is the pubic arch um, that I'm outlining here. Um, when we place these needles in, we have to we have to get them beneath the pubic arch and and. Um, you know, not with larger prostates or, you know, um, just who have smaller uh, pelvic outlets, it may not be um, that, that simple to get, get these needles here. With low-dose rate prostate brachytherapy, someone with a large tumor uh, or an anterior tumor that's hidden behind the pubic arch um, would not be considered a candidate for LDR brachytherapy. Um, but here with our, you know, uh, UCSF freehand technique, again, it, it's not really a problem. Even with pubic arch interference, we're able to angle the needle in the right position here to, to, to cover the tumor. So that's another advantage of HDR brachytherapy. Uh, so the clinical data that support use of brachytherapy in general and also HDR brachytherapy in specific, um, I'm gonna review some of, some of it tonight for you. So this is a study out of UCLA, um, close to 200 patients, uh, followed for about six and a half or seven years, all treated with uh, HDR brachytherapy alone, without hormone therapy or, or any other intervention for their prostate cancer. They all had an intermediate risk disease, just like the gentleman in our case presentation. And you can see that, um, you know, out to 10 years, um, you know, the, the cure rate is approximately 90%. So um, this, this graph here shows biochemical progression-free survival. That's fancy medical jargon um, uh, for um, for basically having a low PSA um, and being alive. So if you're alive with a low PSA, we consider that success in the prostate cancer world, okay? Um, and uh, you know, this is the percentage of men who showed no evidence of PSA progression or biochemical progression and, 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 and were alive at this time point. So basically 90%, you know, great outcome um, out to 10 years. And then in this graph down here, um, we're looking at, um, in this table here, we're looking at uh, the observed rates of toxicity um, so general urinary toxicity, um, you know, this is, for example, like the urethral strictures that I was talking about earlier, scar tissue that form, forms in the urethra, um, you know, less than, fewer than 4% of men, less than 4% of men experience, you know, what we call grade three or, or significant toxicity um, in the urinary domain, and really no patients um, in the bowel domain experience any significant, um, significant or, you know, severe toxicity. Um, so this is a very favorable toxicity profile um, with a very good uh, long-term outcome. Um, 
And um, what about the men who have higher risk disease um, that Dr. Mohammed mentioned might need both external beam and brachytherapy? Um, so this was a national cooperative group clinical trial that was spearheaded by one of uh, our colleagues here, um, Dr. Joe Shu, um, where uh, uh, um, you know men with prostate cancer with either intermediate or high risk disease um, were treated with both external beam radiation and high dose rate prostate cancer high-dose rate prostate brachytherapy boost. And the outcomes of this have been reported in the past year. Um, and um, you know, with long-term follow-up, um, what we're seeing here um, is very, again, very low rates, about 5% risk of uh, significant or severe toxicity in either the urinary or bowel domain. So if you look at all comers in either of this domain, you know, approximately 5% of 10, 10 years are at risk of experience, experiencing a significant complication. Um, and the, you know, the 10-year control rate is about 80%. Um, and again, this is a higher risk population than, than, the, than the group I showed you previously. Um, this is still a very good outcome. Um, at 10 years, the local recurrence rate, the, the chance that there was cancer detected still inside the prostate itself is only 2%. Um, so this, this is, a, again, a very good outcome for men with very high risk disease, with high risk disease. I mean, frankly, this is a, um, these outcomes are very comparable um, to what can be achieved with surgery, even in the long term, even, even at 10 years. Um, so uh, this is a, um, a trial. So this is actually gold standard or level one evidence. This is, this is a landmark randomized trial that was done um, with low dose rate prostate brachytherapy, um, testing the, um, the, the benefits of adding LDR brachytherapy to external beam radiation alone. This is the Ascend-RT trial. Um, and uh, they randomized men to dose escalated external beam or external beam uh, with uh, a low dose rate prostate brachytherapy boost. Again, what we're seeing here is that the rate of uh, proportion free of biochemical progression. So those who had a controlled PSA with long-term follow-up, um, you know, the, the, the benefit at nine years is about 21% um, between the external beam arm uh, alone or the external beam plus low-dose-rate prostate brachytherapy. So you can see that this curve not only is higher, but flattens out, arguing that whereas the external beam curve continues to decline over time, um, arguing, arguing that really what brachytherapy buys you, and these curves start to separate around four years or so, or, or so um, you know, what these curves show you is that brachytherapy really provides durable cure um, in a way that maybe external beam alone does not. Um, and then um, the data for supporting the role of HDR brachytherapy in the boost setting, um, we do have randomized trials that were from an older era. So the Ascend-RT is a modern randomized trial, um, you know, which is important when we talk about prostate cancer to compare it to a modern cohort of patients who are receiving modern therapy. Um, we don't have a similar randomized trial yet in the HDR world. Um, but we do have um, this trial. Um, so um, this was a trial radar trial. The randomization in this trial was was really looking at a hormone therapy question, which is beyond the scope of uh, of our discussion today. Um, this study was done uh, as a cooperative group trial in Australia and New Zealand. Um, and uh, um, the each center that enrolled on this trial chose a dose level of, of radiation to give. So they could either give 66 gray, 70 gray, or 74 gray of external beam radiation only, or um, the men could receive external beam radiation with a brachytherapy boost. Um, and um, what you can see in this, in this graph here, again, this is not a randomized comparison, but it's clear evidence of dose response, right? The, the more dose we give, the less likely patients experience local progression. This is out to 10-year follow-up. Um, the less likely they experience distant progression. And, and, and this last graph here is prostate cancer-specific mortality. So basically, the lower, the lower chance that, that they are at risk of dying from prostate cancer. Um, you know, th these are very large advantages. Um, and uh, um, so, so again, this, you know, uh, supports the idea that, you know, extreme dose escalation 
um, with brachytherapy, and, and indeed high-dose prostate brachytherapy has meaningful clinical benefits. Um, so I'm going to turn this over now to Dr. Kunha um, to walk you through kind of the specifics of um, our brachytherapy technique here at UCSF. All right. Thank you, Dr. Wong, Dr. Mohammed. Um, just as uh, Dr. Wong mentioned there at, at the end, what's great about brachytherapy is it really can allow us to focus that radiation right inside your tumor. So the focus of the radiation is inside the tumor, and that allows us to escalate the dose where it really needs to be without giving any dose to any of the normal tissues surrounding it. So what brachytherapy allows to do is really get um, that dose where it needs to go. So I'll talk a little bit about how we do that. So just a little bit, Dr. Mohammed mentioned about how x-rays were discovered right around 1900. Well, it was very quickly after that, it was, dis it was discovered that we could take those x-rays and we could use them in the context of prostate radiation therapy. So in 1913 was the first time it was described to be used for, for uh, treatment of prostate cancer. Um, and it was brought into regular use not that much later. Um, early cases were using transperineum radial, radium needles. So the radium was placed into needles and these were placed uh, transperineally. But where the breakthrough really came that really allowed us to focus brachytherapy into the modern day was in 1983. And that is with the... Um, when Holm and his group introduced the transperineal prostate brachytherapy technique with ultrasound. So I just want to point out one thing. So one of the original papers by Young noted, this article is not intended to speak of ultimate results, but we may safely say here that truly astonishing results have been attained in some cases. Disappearance of obstruction, shrinkage, and great softening of certain cancers of the prostate and extensive retrogressive um, changes in inoperable cancers of the bladder. So it was noticed very early on that this technique could work. However, because of how things were done, the technology didn't exist to really take full advantage of it. Now, outcomes were reported to be poor early on, but part of this was because the disease just was not localized to the prostate by the time that these patients came for treatment. So only 2% of the patients in these early cases for in this one paper, for example, had disease confined to the prostate. So when they re report that local control was only 10%, that's not saying that the brachytherapy te type technique didn't work, but that these patients had very extensive disease. So let's talk a little bit about the technology and how we bring this to the patients. The early technique used these radium needles inserted into the rectum or the, into the uh, urethra. This could deliver radiation to the prostate, but you had to go through the rectum. That radiation had to be delivered there. So that gave a lot of radiation where we didn't want it. This is the breakthrough. So in 1983, Holm uh, invented this technique of using a transrectal ultrasound probe. So an ultrasound is visualized, uses, a, uses sound to visualize anatomy. Now this can be placed in the rectum. Now, since the a prostate sits right on top of the rectum. We can very easily see the prostate using an ultrasound in the rectum. And we, we only have maybe a centimeter of spacing between those two, very easy to see. And then the second part of it was using this transrectal ultrasound, but also incorporating a template to guide needles through the perineum. Since the prostate sits maybe five centimeters 
uh, inside from the perineum, this is a very easy way to access. So for prostate brachytherapy, using ultrasound imaging and this template allowing needles to be inserted right into the prostate, this is really what brought into the introduction uh, of modern brachytherapy into the clinic, this technique. So who was the HDR prostate team? Uh, we have our radiation oncologist. So here's a picture of uh, Dr. Shu, who has been essential in implementing some really breakthrough technology um, um, uses and how to do um, prostate GYN brachytherapy in really um, innovative ways here at UCSF. So when we talk about not using a template in a few slides, that was invented really by Dr. Shu here. And not using a template allows us to really tailor every single implant to the specific patient anatomy. So in, to help the radiation oncologists, we have radiation therapists. They are, their role is to uh, run the machine or deliver that radiation once that implant is placed. Of course, we have our OR nurses who take care of our patients. We have our anesthesiologists who help us with patients with pain. And then medical physicists, um, we're not talking about it here today, but this is a picture of me um, where we are working here at UCSF on doing 3D printing and incorporating that into our brachytherapy planning. So this is an applicator that was designed for a patient's oral cavity where the teeth are in the way, really hard to get there. So. Um, there's a lot of technology that goes into this, um, into uh, brachytherapy, and we are really on the cutting edge here at UCSF. So the medical physicist is the last part of that equation, and we are really focused on the technology and bringing that to the clinic. Okay, another thing. This is what a procedure room might look, does look like um, for brachytherapy procedure. This is our brand new at UCSF brachytherapy dedicated suite for doing brachytherapy implants. Now this room is used just for brachytherapy. There are not many in the many places in the country that have this, this type of facility. Um, and we are really excited about it. In this, you can see the, um, you can see the table for, for, um, for the patient. And we have all the technology that we need. We have our ultrasounds in there. We have our steppers in order to place the ultrasound. We've got monitoring equipment. And this is right next to the vault, the treatment vault, where we actually treat the patient. So everything is very integrated across the hall is our CT. Next door over is our MRI where we um, that we just installed as well that we will be incorporating into our brachytherapy procedures in the near future. This is what an ultrasound system looks like. So we have a screen that you see on the left and on the right you see the ultrasound probe and this is what will go into uh, the rectum. Um, and then on the bottom you can see the insertion into, uh, into the patient. So this um, this really allows us to visualize in real time, in real time, how those, those needles are being inserted into the patient. And by be able, being able to visualize in real time how the needles are being inserted into the patient, we can make sure that those needles are going exactly where they need to go. Prior to a, prior to a procedure, the patient will get anesthesia, this could be a spinal or an epidural or general anesthesia. And the nice thing about our brachytherapy suite is even though it lives inside the radiation oncology department, anesthesia comes down and they will they, they join us in that in that suite to really so that everything is integrated in one place. Um, so this this is a great uh, um, this is a great tool for us to use. Now I want to show. I'm gonna, we're not going to play this whole thing. We're going to stop about halfway. But I just wanted to. This is I can't help but use this. This is a video that was created by the New York Times and is just so good at, at demonstrating what we do here. Um, I think is um, 
is a great opportunity to, to use this. So this is the patient in the lithotomy position, and we're gonna zoom in a little bit. So what we wanna do is we actually wanna put needles and radioactive sources inside the prostate. Now this is an example of low dose rate or a permanent seed implant. What we're talking about today is high dose rate or afterloader brachytherapy. Um, and in that, we will actually not put the seeds in there permanently. So going on, we wanna position the patient. And at this point, we're gonna insert the ultrasound into the rectum. And that ultrasound allows us to visualize that prostate. Now notice the prostate is so close to the rectum right there, we really can get a very good image of, uh, of that, of, our, of where we're heading. We will put contrast in the urethra because the urethra obviously is not generally not involved. We wanna make sure that we know where that is, the urethra is so we don't stick a needle into it, but also so we don't actually deliver radiation to it or we can minimize that. This is a template-based approach. So this is how we would put the needles in, uh, in through the template into the prostate. Okay, so we can stop that movie there. So these next three slides I put in there just so you have it. So we have it um, in the in the uh, PDF because you know it's hard to see with the with the movie. But this is basically the setup that we showed in the movie. So we'll just go quickly through there. There's a setup. Here's what the ultrasound might look like, and then uh, this is how the ultrasound images are taken that you saw in the movie. And um, okay, let's go here. So now this. I want to point out something. We talk about templates, and for the traditional uh, seed implants, permanent implants, we will use a template to put those seeds in. But the HDR brachytherapy procedure actually will do all the planning of where the radiation is going to go after those needles are implanted. So you can use a fixed template, and that really locks you down to kind of where you can put your needles. Then people decided we're going to try to see some a mobile template. Maybe if this is sutured to the perineum, this will help us really position a little bit better and kind of get help localize those needles a little bit better. But what Dr. Shu here invented at UCSF was this what we call freehand technique. And in this freehand technique, we don't use this template. The template restricts uh, the physician into where they can place those needles. You can only place it in those holes. But you really want to be using that ultrasound to really be able to decide exactly where do I need my needles. So by removing that template and doing everything freehand that the Dr. Uh, Wong has uh, has done and Dr. Mohammed has done after Dr. Shu's um, uh, technique, you can really place those needles wherever you want. We attach this dental putty at the end there, and we suture that to the perineum in order to keep those needle, those catheters in place so that we can hook this up to the afterloader, which is, delivers the radiation after. So this is unique to UCSF. And in fact, it's, it's gaining in popularity, mainly as we uh, have residents graduate from here and go out to different places and start to uh, use our techniques in their own practices. Um, and you start to see this kind of technique more and more. Um, but this is a great technique, so let's go on. So what does this allow us to do? This really allows us to place our needles in a optimal position. I want you to notice something here. Do you see on this ultrasound here? The ultrasound image here, we see small white dots. Those small white dots are the template positions. So if I was implanting needles and I needed to govern just by that template, I wouldn't be able to do this implant because I could only choose those white dots as optimal positions. So by doing this freehand needle placement, this is an example of, the, of an optimal needle placement that we use in our clinic. So by removing the, um, the restriction of having that template, we really can get those needles exactly where they need to go. There's a nice peripheral loading here around the periphery, and there's a nice line of catheters right, right near the rectum to really shape our dose. So each implant is tailored to the patient. Okay, 
Of course, we want to do a cystoscopy afterwards. So a cystoscopy is used to really make sure that we don't have any trauma to the urethra or the bladder and that the needles are in place. We're using a camera that we place into the urethra and into the bladder to just make sure that everything looks okay. When we're done with that, now the patients will finish in the OR and now it's time to get an image taken. So the standard of care is a CT. CTs are great and we have a CT right across the hall at our, at our suite and we take a CT of the patient. Now, we could also use MR, and MR can give you even better image contrast. MR has some difficulties with seeing, uh, seeing uh, your catheters, so CT, is the, uh, CT really is the gold standard for what we're doing. But on the CT, I can see my prostate, I can see my rectum, I can see my urethra, and then here is showing in the planning system what we're contouring for the patient. In the bottom right, you can see the 3D view of what that anatomy of the patient is, same one that uh, Dr. Ohamed showed earlier. We have the brown is the rectum, the red is the prostate, the pink is the penile bulb, the yellow is the bladder, and that teal color is your urethra. So this is how we digitize that system so we can tell our planning system how we're gonna deliver the radiation. Now the planning step. This is another thing I want to point out. You see that window in the bottom center here? This is the IPSA optimization. IPSA was invented here at UCSF and now has been implemented into these commercial, this commercial planning system that is the most popular commercial planning system for brachytherapy in the world. What IPSA allows you to do is IPSA allows you to look at that anatomy and look at those, con those, uh, those needles that are in there and find the optimal way to configure that radiation in there in order to contour your dose around your normal structure so you can really get dose exactly where you want it but you know, you wanna carve out a tunnel for that urethra, we can do that because we're using advanced optimization technology. So in the planning stage, what we're trying, what we're doing is we're telling the computer, we want certain dose in certain places, we don't want dose in other places, and let's figure out how to do it. So that's the planning phase. Once the planning is all done, then we'll go to treatment. This is a picture of the MR. So this is what we have right next door to our brachytherapy suite. And MR really going forward to the future is gonna, is gonna start being the, the standard of care for brachytherapy because you can really see real, real see details in the anatomy. And we are glad at UCSF here to be like cutting edge on this stuff. And we are gonna be uh, implementing this MR technology right on the cutting edge of that. So not a lot of places do MR for uh, prostate brachytherapy, but we're super happy that we're gonna be doing this pretty soon. All right, so I think I'm gonna hand it off now just as we finish up. I think we're gonna, this is gonna be just one last discussion of our case presentation here. And uh, I'll hand it off to Dr. Wong. Okay, um, so uh, yeah, so this is just to summarize uh, our patient, uh, 65 years old, uh, intermediate risk prostate cancer, PSA 6, T2A disease, uh, 3 plus 4, 3 out 16 cores positive. He is an excellent candidate for brachytherapy. Um, and we indeed, indeed did treat him here. He chose to undergo uh, prostate HR brachytherapy here. Um, this is the plan that you're looking at um, that he, he received that we've been showing you examples of throughout the course of this, uh, this presentation. Um, so um, this is our, our last slide here. So I just wanted to um, drive home some take-home points. Um, so both uh, teletherapy, external beam radiation, and brachytherapy and, and um, implanting radioactive sources directly into tumor are well-established treatment options for localized prostate cancer. Brachytherapy uh, does provide better chance of long-term cure than external beam alone uh, in men with intermediate or high-risk disease. Um, HDR prostate brachytherapy is safe and effective and delivers an ablative dose of radiation, um, eradicating prostate cancer while minimizing exposure to adjacent tissues. 
Um, and um, we, we have here at UCSF some special technologies, special techniques, things that we've invented here um, that we think will enable us to do, you know, um, do things that maybe are um, difficult to do in, in other circumstances, treat, treat men with prostate cancer um, that would, might not otherwise be eligible for brachytherapy. Um, and um, that's, that's about it. Um, I think all three of us would be more than happy to uh, take questions here. Um, maybe I'll just go through uh, the questions um, that we have uh, here uh, already in the Q&A session. So the first was, um, what type of anesthesia is used for biopsy and radioactive seed implantation? Um, so typically, I'll just answer this one. This one, typically prostate biopsy is done under local anesthesia in a urologist's office. Um, the urologist will uh, inject um, a numbing medication directly into the nerve bundles um, and then just do the, uh, do the biopsy directly in office. Um, for radioactive seed implantation, um, most groups will do this in the operating room uh, and some of them will do it in a procedure suite like the one we just built here at UCSF. Um, the anesthesia that's used for it can be even either general anesthesia um, or, um, you know, some centers like ours will also offer neuraxial anesthesia, which is epidural or spinal. Um, so those are, you know, uh, don't have the systemic effects as general anesthesia or don't have as many systemic effects as general anesthesia has um, and, you know, kind of provides the block exactly where we need to go. I commonly tell patients that, you know, um, if you're getting an epidural, it's the same thing women get during childbirth. And, you know, if we can take babies out of the abdomen under an epidural, we can certainly implant your prostate under an epidural and you won't feel it. So, um, so that's the anesthesia. Um, second question here um, is about complications secondary to brachytherapy. Uh, so I mentioned earlier that probably the most feared complication is urethral stricture, scar tissue that forms in the urine, in, in, in the urethra. Um, you know, other uh, possible complications, um, we, we can see um, there are some risk of bleeding. So some men do develop uh, chronic issues with blood in the urine, um, less commonly blood in the stools. Um, there are rare reports of what's called what are called fistulas. Fistulas are abnormal connections between the organs that shouldn't be connected in the pelvis. Um, specifically, after brachytherapy, we worry about something called rectal urethral fistula, where the rectum fistulizes to the urethra. Um, in the reported literature, this seems to be really very much associated with um, procedures. So, if somebody has a biopsy done, you know, um, uh, some kind of rectal procedure done shortly after brachytherapy, um, it, it may not heal the same way as, it, as someone who has not received radiation therapy. So we do counsel our patients to generally avoid, you know, um, colonoscopy or any kind of rectal procedure, anything that disturbs the rectum, you know, ideally a year after brachytherapy, but minimum six months. Um, so those are probably the complications that, that are, um, you know, uh, uh, like any form of prostate radiation, there is some, uh, you know, risk of disturbance of urinary and bowel habits, um, as well as, um, you know, changes in sexual function. Um, although, you know, I, I would say that, um, you know, depending on which reports you look at, um, quality of life after brachytherapy is generally very high, um, uh, even in comparison, you know, despite the high doses of radiation used, it, it's, it's not worse than, in fact, in, in the monotherapy series, it's better than, than, often better than what we see in external beam. I'm kind of getting into, you know, the woods here of radiation oncology, but, um, but uh, okay, so let's see here. Um, given the superior dose distribution using LDR and HDR brachytherapy, why would external beam ever be used to treat prostate cancer? Put another way, is there ever a clinical reason to use external beam instead of brachytherapy? That's a very good question. Um, these are all very good questions. Um, uh, so I would say that um, here at UCSF, we are very strong proponents of brachytherapy, if that hasn't been kind of hinted at already through the course of this, this, this talk. But um, 
uh, a lot of brachytherapists um, feel that brachytherapy really should be offered a lot more widely. Um, you know, the limitations to this, um, there are practical limitations to this, meaning that um, really the biggest problem, in my opinion, is probably training. Um, you know, there, there aren't that many centers that, um, if you look at practice patterns over time, unfortunately, brachytherapy is, is declining in use while external beam is, is rising in use. Um, and it really just comes down to, to training and logistics, right? So centers that, you know, if you have a, um, brachytherapy is very resource intensive, right? As Dr. Kunha showed you, there's a, there's a large team that's involved, right? There's procedural, uh, um, you know, there's anesthesiologists involved. Um, that's a very resource intensive, an intensive treatment. Um, whereas, you know, external beam radiation, um, you know, lots of radiation oncologists have an external beam machine and it's maybe easier to deliver external beam radiation from a logistics point of view. Um, for clinical reasons, there are some, um, you know, there are some uh, relative contraindications to brachytherapy. Um, so, for example, someone who's had a prior prostate procedure, um, like a TERP, where they remove part of the urethra to remove urinary obstruction, um, that's considered a relative contraindication to brachytherapy simply because that, that um, tissue that's been removed is more prone to bleeding. bleeding. Um, although I will say that um, UCSF has, we have published our own experience in doing this. It's actually being presented at ASTRO right now, which is our um, national group. Um, for radiation oncology or national meeting. Um, and our, our rates of bleeding after brachytherapy using kind of a, a unique, what we call urethral sparing technique, um, uh, are not higher than what's seen after external beam. So um, we actually don't really consider TERP even a contraindication. Uh, maybe the biggest contraindication would be some medical you know, contraindication to having a spinal or an epidural or general or really patient preference, right? Some patients don't want to have undergo invasive procedures for, for prostate cancer and would rather just have all their treatments done externally. Um, so, um, but yeah, it's, 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 a it's, it's, a um, it's a very good question. It's one that uh, provokes a lot of active debate in, in the prostate cancer radiation oncology world is, um, I'm going to let Adam answer this one. Is there any real time quality assurance during HDR treatment? So that's a great question. And this is, uh, clearly kind of getting into like the technology and the medical physics side of things. So quality assurance is a super important part of radiation oncology, and it's actually probably the number one job of a medical physicist. This is what we are there for, quality assurance for patients, make sure that the technology is, is working for the patient. Um, in brachytherapy, is it interesting because the brachytherapy machine, while amazing on how it works, is quite simple, and it, it, it can be really um, fine-tuned to be really, really high quality and making sure that it is delivering that radiation exactly where it needs to go every time. Having said that, real-time quality assurance means that we are doing quality assurance at exactly the same time that the, that the uh, radiation is being delivered. So right now, we do not. Most places around the world do not. This is actually a cutting edge uh, research topic um, in brachytherapy because we do really want to check that that radiation is going where it is. But real-time quality assurance is very difficult for brachytherapy, and that is an active uh, area of research for, um, for, uh, for people all over the world, and it's something that we're also looking here at UCSF. So um, hopefully that answers that question. Okay, I think we have one question left, and uh, um, Osama, do you want to take this one? Um, yeah, sure. I'll read it to you. So, uh, with freehand needle placement, how does the clinician decide where to put the needles? Um, how is it handled if the cl clinician places the needle in a place that is suboptimal? Do they go back in and move the needle to a more favorable position? 
So, uh, so we have a standard pattern, although it's a freehand. So although we are, there's no template, but there is a standard pattern that we is in our head and we know each needle has a specific location. So I tell you, for example, uh, there are 16 needles. So this it's a rows, uh, four rows of four, uh, four rows and four columns. The upper needles, the two anterior ones will be close to the urethra in the center. The outer one will be on the edge of the urethra. The, the outer one, the inner ones will be surround, around the urethra like a box. And then each needle will go to a specific location and will have a specific function. So what happens, let's say during the procedure, we are putting the needle and we don't like where is it. And it like, you know, for example, it's we're, so often we're trying to put the needle at the edge of the prostate. Sometimes it goes outside the prostate and the connective tissue. We can just pull it out and put it in. As long as we are in the OR or like the, uh, the patient is asleep, we're still in the procedure. We can in, uh, put the needle wherever we want and adjust as we want. Occasionally, for example, I had the case a few a few months ago where like uh, we had a situation where one of the needles slipped and it went out uh, because of some movement in the patient. So uh, at that time, uh, we I had two options. One option was is to put it again back because you know we do CT scan to plan your treat to plan our treatment. So if I see that the needle slipped out, I can push it in because. Each needle, uh, the way, the, how far the needles are in is also uh, has, a, has a good relation to the other needle. So if, if a needle has slipped back in or out, I can compare to the needles around it and I can tell how far what I should do. So what I did is I did not like where it, where it was because it was pushed in. So I pushed it back where I thought it was appropriate. I did the CT scan. I was not happy. I pushed it back in another CT scan, and then eventually I was happy and I, with that position. Alternatively, what I could have done is I could have, uh, assuming that the anatomy and the, the implant allows, I could have like ignored the needle completely and told the treatment planning system, "Do not use this. Do not use this catheter. It's it's okay to ignore it, and I will use the catheters around it to compensate." Let me just jump in here really quick because it actually ties into the QA question, if you don't mind. Um, one of the things we're developing here at UCSF is a technique called electromagnetic tracking, which will complement the ultrasound. So we can actually see where those needles are going in using a totally different technology. So this will allow us to really see where those needles are going. And what that also lets us do is it allows us to do real-time treatment planning on the fly. So not only if that needle goes in in the wrong place, we can remove it like we're doing now under ultrasound, but with this system, what we can do is we can actually say, well, that needle went there, but it's not gonna affect the dosimetry much. But if we put another needle right over here, we can really get a much better, much better plan. And this is a really cool technology that we're working on right now that can go for QA, but can really also help us decide which needles really need to go where and which needles need to be a little bit moved in order to get a good plan and good dosimetry. Okay, um, Osama, do you want to take this next question too? This is probably, we probably will not be able to answer this in great detail because it could be a whole lecture on its own, but uh, when is prostatectomy often called the gold standard, a preferred treatment to radiation? Okay, uh, this is an excellent question. So uh, there's actually like, most of the time, most of the time, the choice between prostatectomy and radiation is the choice of the patient. 
okay, very, most of the time the patient comes, we review the case, we tell them, okay, you are eligible either for prostatectomy or for radiation. And we go over the side effects of the prostatectomy and the side effects of the radiation, which are usually different. So, for example, the patient who just Dr. Dr. Wong discussed for brachytherapy. So typically they would have seen a urologist who recommended a prostatectomy, but send them to us for discussion of radiation. So when I see him in the clinic, this is what I would tell him. From an oncologic perspective, meaning from the, the probability of tumor control at five or eight or 10 years is similar. And actually we have a very large randomized trial that came from the UK, which compared for these kind of patients, radiation versus surgery, and showed that it is exactly the same level of uh, tumor of cancer control, either if you do surgery or radiation. However, the difference is in the, uh, the logistics of radiation versus, uh, uh, versus surgery and the recovery from radiation versus surgery and the side effects. And different patients look at these factors differently. I give you an example. Some patients come to us and say, you know what, very important for me to maintain my sexual function. And we know from like multiple studies, including the British study that I told you that, that radiation is gentler on the sexual nerve and sexual function compared to surgery. Now, if you have one of, if you have like a new CSF, like some of the best surgeons in the world, and we have like, and the surgeon is able to do uh, by uh, like nerve sparing, then that that risk of sexual function is is better. But in general, when you look at the community and the studies from from all over the world, radiation does win over surgery in terms of sexual function. Also, leakage, uh, urine leakage. Uh, also, a little bit of an advantage of radiation over surgery with respect to urine leakage. However, this is not the full, this is not the full picture, because radiation does have side effects that surgery does not have. I'll give you an example: radiation can cause an ulcer in the rectum, an ulcer in the bladder. These ulcers may bleed, may become problematic. Surgery does not cause that. Radiation can cause like scarring, and this is what Dr. Wong spoke about. The scarring in the urethra make it difficult to urinate. Surgery has something similar, but not exactly. And very importantly, especially for young patients, this is one of the most common reasons for like patients in their 50s, like choosing surgery over radiation, is that radiation can cause a second cancer. Radiation itself will cause uh, would, will cause a cancer, mostly in the rectum or in the bladder or in soft tissue in the area. And this is not very common, maybe like one in 200 over 15 year period of time. But for someone who is like in their 50s, who will definitely live 20 or 30 years, this may be something to consider. And um, and also, finally, some people want to like have a one-stop shop where like they, they finish their treatment. They don't want to do like multiple visits for radiation. They choose surgery. So it's it's a it's a it's a it's a discussion that happens between the radiation oncologist, the surgeon, and the patient, and eventually uh, the patient chooses. There are other situations where we don't have that option. For example, patients who come in with like really a lot of side effects, a lot of urinary issues, like like obstruction, their prostate is so large, they can't, uh, they're having lots of issues. Sometimes they are better served with, with surgery. Um, and so every case is different and it's a very big topic, but these are how, this is how we think in general.
Uh, Dr. Wang, do you want to add anything? Uh, no, I think you covered most of the big topics. Yeah, I mean, you know, basically it, it really is a personal choice. Just like Dr. Um, Muhammad was saying, uh, the ultimate curate is, is identical or very, very similar. Um, and uh, especially in patients getting brachytherapy, you know, it seems like the long-term um, curates are still um, just as good. Um, and uh, really it comes down to kind of personal choice about um, the side effects, the side effect profile, the risks, um, as well as the logistics of treatment. Um, so, okay, so we have one last question here, which I think Adam should answer, which is how and when do you do dose calculation? so that you can confirm that the delivered radiation matches the prescribed dose. Excellent, so we're gonna talk, we're, this talk is about HDR brachytherapy. So one of the, one of the best uh, reasons for doing HDR ther brachytherapy is the implant is inserted and is in place before we do any kind of imaging for dose planning. So that implant is in place and then we'll do imaging and then we'll do our dose planning. So that plan and that radiation that's being planned to be delivered is, is, is uh, matches what you see in your image. So we are constantly doing dose calculations on the image, image that is taken for doing the dose planning to make sure that what we plan is giving a reasonable, a reasonable dose. Now, this the delivered radiation, the question here is, so how do you confirm that the delivery, delivered radiation matches the prescribed dose? And this actually matches with the previous question. Real-time like dosimetry or real-time uh, QA on how that radiation is being delivered would be the gold standard for validating that your radiation is going to where it needs to go. And that is a hot topic in the radiation field around the world today, especially for brachytherapy. We're not quite there yet, but we can take a lot of solace in the fact that this radiation, the machines that we are using to deliver brachytherapy type radiation are accurate to sub-millimeter precision in placing that radiation dose. And when we have a patient who we have just imaged on the CT, we do a plan and within, within an hour, we are delivering that radiation to the patient. We can be very confident that that, that implant is in, where, is in the position where it was when we took that scan and we can deliver it to the patient. Okay, I think that's um, all the questions that were submitted. Well, um, thank you all for coming. Uh, we'd feel pretty silly doing this here without you. So um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a pleasure being invited to talk about brachytherapy here. And um, you know, I think uh, Lauren, uh, uh, Dr. Brenna, of course, can supply any of our contact information. Um, if any of you have other questions you think of in the future, um, just feel free to email us. You know, more than happy to talk more about our program here. Um, answer any questions that you might not have uh, thought thought to ask tonight. So, you've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.